This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on how we can get ourselves into the room where it happens. Whether you're looking to join a corporate board or simply move into positions of greater influence, we're going to talk today about strategies that all of us can deploy to make those dreams come true. Our phones are open at one 844 844-942-7866. And we're taking calls. So give us a ring. We'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have about climbing the corporate ladder? Are you curious about serving on a board? Have questions about how to pursue it with effectiveness or why it might be rewarding? Today's guest is just the person to help answer those questions. As regular listeners may remember, I was privileged to attend the New Rules Summit hosted by the New York Times last month. The Times invited leaders from across business, politics, and culture to meet and discuss concrete solutions for creating a more inclusive workplace. Today's guest is one of the amazing women that I met while I was there, and I'm delighted to welcome her to the show. Jill Griffin is a Forbes.com columnist and an internationally published Harvard Working Knowledge author. She's written not one, not two, but six business books, including Earn Your Seat on a Corporate Board, which we're going to talk about today. She's an independent public board director for the New York Stock Exchange and also serves as an independent board director for Luby's Fuddruckers Restaurants, where she chairs the Talent Management and Administration Committee overseeing operations, management, succession, customer loyalty, and risk. In other words, a whole lot of responsibility. She advises ride-sharing startup Hitch from Nashville, Tennessee, Broadway Bank Austin, and the Central Texas Girl Scouts, in addition to leading Jill Griffin Executive Learning. So with all that, I'm grateful that Jill's taken the time out of her busy schedule to join us. So Jill, welcome to Women at Work. Oh, Laura, so fun to be here. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm glad you agree. So as I was diving into your book, Jill, um, I noticed this really amusing section where you talk about getting so excited about the idea of serving on corporate boards that you had to write a book. Now, that's right. People talk about the importance of corporate boards, the gravitas there, but nobody talks about how excited they are except you. So what sparked that? (laughs) Well, it's... You know, it's just one of the deep privileges of my life. And one of the reasons is because you really do get to see how a company operates from the very top and everything that filters down from there. And a lot of people think that um, that having a board seat is kind of a I made it badge. And I, I have to agree with that. I think that it's it's a privilege. The the uh, seats are very exclusive, and it's a journey to find a board seat. But it is very very possible. It's encouraging to hear that it's possible, and it's awesome to hear how excited it makes you. And also to talk honestly about how this is a badge of honor, because it does mean, you know, your voice really matters. Um, But also you said, referred to it as a privilege, like there's something about what you learn while you're there. Talk to me more about that. Oh, yes. I mean, you, you get exposed to some of the best and brightest people in the business. And that's what I love because I just 
soak up their their advice, their learning. Um, there's a real camaraderie on the board that I serve on, and that's not always the case. And that doesn't mean that we don't disagree because we definitely have very hearty discussions where we have very differing points of view, but at the end of the day, we come back together as a group. So those are some of the things that make it such a worthwhile endeavor. So it sounds like, on one hand, you could describe it as a kind of elite club, but it's not the clubbiness. It's the camaraderie and the collaboration that sounds like it's what's really rewarding. That is. And one of the things that Number one thing that they look for in a board candidate is can they fit in? Can they can they collaborate? Do they have a do they have do they share the same values of the other people sitting around the table? So Jill, in especially here at Women at Work, when we hear those words, are they a fit? Often that's code for are they like us? And it's become an excuse in many organizations to not be open to diverse candidates. Talk to me about how that does and doesn't play out at the board level. Well, the good news uh, on my board, there were already two women seated on the board when I joined out of nine. So that was, um, that was interesting. We have a brilliant African-American, uh, Dr. Judith Craven, that I have learned so so much from uh, through the years. Uh, we we seek diversity, not only of origin but of fault, and we think that is extremely important. Now, one of the reasons I, I wrote on a seat on a corporate board was because I was disturbed by the clubbiness of what I've seen in the past of boards Mm -hmm. in regard to that they, it was really a men's club for the longest time. And when you studied board lists, you would see how the same group of people sat on multiple boards. So clearly they were scratching each other's backs. And that disturbed me. And I really wanted to write a book that pulled back the curtain on the board process so that People would have a, of all genders, of all nationalities and so forth, that they would have an opportunity to see how this operates and the, the steps that can take you there. I so appreciate that you framed it that way and that you were motivated. Because the other thing that I've heard from the women who have had experience being on boards and who are being sought for boards is that they're worried about being the token or being about overextend or about being overextended because once um, that network kicks in and says we're looking for a woman, it's the same woman who often gets suggested for every board, and it's a, it's an only. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, I read an article the other day uh, because women are rising in real estate, and one of the women quoted in the article, I think it was in the New York Times, said that. When they say they can't find women candidates, she pulls a list out and gives it to them. (laughs) you got to love it. (laughs) There are a lot of industries where this is starting to happen. Like, you can't find women? I'll help you. I know a bunch. exactly right. So she says she always has her list handy. 
I love that. So before we we dive into, because the book's chock full of really actionable advice, I want to know a little bit about how you wound up on your first board. Well, it came about from writing a book. And I, I have to say that books are the best brochure you can ever have. And I believe everybody has got at least one book in them. And you and you you think, oh gosh, I couldn't do that. Well, you can. There's plenty of people, resourceful people that you can surround yourself with to make that happen. But my my journey to the board seat was through my book, and I'd written my first book was a book called Customer Loyalty: How to Earn It, How to Keep It, and it took me from a kind of being a nobody in Austin at the time to the national stage and ultimately the international stage. But um, a, a man called Red McCombs that may not have notoriety among your listeners, but he, the UT Business School is now named for him because he gave $50 million wow. to put his name on the building. He owned the Minnesota Vikings, uh, he, and he's, he is acclaimed in the car business. And so I'd gone down to a little town uh, south of, of Austin called San Marcos, and I had done um, um, a little presentation when the book came out to about six small business owners and had dinner down there and then returned, and didn't think much about it, and I was sitting in my office one day, and the phone rang, and a female voice on the other end of the line said, please hold for Mr. Red McCombs, and I was stunned. I was stunned, so I picked up the phone, and thankfully I was there, and I was an (laughs) adjunct professor at the time over at UT, and he, knowing Mr. McCombs the way I do, he always goes to the highest level, and he says, Professor Griffin. (laughs) <laughs> I was not a professor. Instantly promoted. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. And he says, I have always known there was something about these J.D. Power satisfaction ratings that were off, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I, I read the first chapter of your book, so somebody in that San Marcos group must have put it on his desk, and he said, I get it now. It's not about satisfaction. It's about loyalty. So that book helped me get my board seat because when the second edition came out, I went back to Mr. McCones and asked him to make an introduction to USAA, which is is the big military um, insurance company. Their offices are larger than the Pentagon Mm -hmm. down in San Antonio. And General Harris and I got to be good friends, and General Harris was stepping down from USAA. They had a a retirement age of age 70, and he was also the chairman of Luby's, and Luby's was in trouble. So by hook and crook, I got invited to join that board, and it it, it just made my – it just was just a real honor 
And that's how it all happened. It's an amazing story. For those who just tuned in, you're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarin. My guest today is Jill Griffin. She's a business author, executive coach, and independent board director. And might I add, a delightful companion at a cocktail party. If at any <laughs> time during our conversation you've got a question, give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's 844-942-7866. So, Jill, as you tell that story, part of what's popping out for me is that the real first step was that you had expertise that people weren't aware of. And the book was not just a mechanism to get that expertise articulated, but it was a tool to spread it, which is what made you visible to other people. That's exactly right. And I got to tell you, I, Laura, I had such woefulness about exposing that book because nobody was writing about loyalty (laughs) at the time. Everybody's writing about customer service, customer retention. I did not show that manuscript to one colleague, not one colleague. How how much of that was that you had a little imposter syndrome and how much of it was that you were inventing something new? Well, both. Both of those are very good points. I felt both of those things. <laughs> and I I was really afraid. It was like opening your kimono. And, <laughs> I, I mean, it was just, I was, and only when I got a good review in Publishers Weekly did I really start to own that this was a book that mattered. And it just, it really took off. At the end of the day, <clears throat> um I had a really good corporate salesperson that I went out to meet in San Francisco uh, because the whole Lexington Book Library, which is where I was published, was being sold to Josie Bass. And my editor at the time, Beth Anderson, who is now, by the way, Senior Vice President of Audible, she saw that trend coming long before other people did. But anyway, she told me to go out there and make friends. Otherwise, the book would be lost. So I hightailed it out to San Francisco, met the nicest people out there. And one of the people I met was a woman named Bernadette Walters, who was a corporate sales person. And the U.S. Postal Service was looking for a book that featured direct mail and taught small business owners how to use direct mail. And I just happened to be writing about that in uh, in my in in the book because I, I believed in it a lot. And they ended up featuring that book and it kept redeeming and redeeming and redeeming <laughs> and they ended up buying twenty two thousand oh copies. Now, I probably got $1 or 50 cents per copy of royalty out of that, but it really didn't matter because it gave me the right to write the second edition, and that's when all... That's when all the magic happened with uh, Red McCombs and, well, not with Red McCombs, but with General Harris. It's amazing to hear the story of how your own um, exposure also contributed to your own confidence. Um, But by the way, we're going to pause for a second because we have a caller coming in. Um, Great. Camelia. And she's calling from Texas. So, Camelia, welcome to Women at Work. We're delighted that you're listening and called in. What's on your mind today? Hi, thank you so much. I love this segment. So I had a question about how you, one, 
how do you pick the boards that you want to be part of, and then how do you navigate to get out of this, like, waiting list pile that seems to accumulate over time and you just don't know where you are to get recognized? Because like you, I wrote a book as well, so I'm a self-published author, so I have four books as well, but just trying to get through, I guess, the, the connection of, of who, to, who to get in contact with in order to get a seat on that board to help make change. Those are great questions. Jill, what do you have to say? Well, I love the question. A uh, very savvy listener calling in. <laughs> uh, networking is a very vital tool. And figuring out who knows who yes. is very important. The other mm-hmm. thing is we are so lucky today because so much of the information we're looking for is on the Internet. I mean, you can figure out who's on boards, who's retiring, what niche they hold on that board, and if you would be well-suited for that niche. Uh, All of those things are very important. Um, Also, how you write a board resume is also very important because a board resume does not look like the standard resume. So you need to know something about that, and there are also professional resume writers out there that can help you with that. Um, Also, knowing what your specialty is and having a niche for that and promoting that niche to the people that are influencers for board seats is very important. Jill, that's an amazing, you just rattled off this great advice, which, by the way, is all articulated in the book. Um, Camilla, I think it, does that help you with the idea of how you can get your resume out of that pile? Oh, yeah, because I didn't know about the board resume. And then also I didn't know online you could find out if they're retiring or not. I knew you could online go and see the list of the boards, but whether or not when to show when they're retiring, because let me tell you, that's good information to know. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, in their annual reports, in their 401Ks, uh, all of that is online. And the other thing that I would suggest is that you make a short list of boards that you think you'd be uh, welcome to. And a, a secret here is that for a first board seat, your probability of getting on a board are on the micro boards and the very small cap boards. And the good news is there's a lot of those. Um, okay. So don't don't try to go mid cap or large cap because those are really hard. Uh, you almost have to be a celebrity in many cases to be found for those boards. But the small cap is very, very, uh, the micro cap and small cap are where the opportunities are. Camelia, is okay. that stuff helpful? That's great. That is so great. That gave me a lot of good information. Can you repeat the information about her, um, Jill's book as well? I want to make sure I get that. Yeah, Jill, do you want to share that with her, where she yes, can find your yes. book in the title? Yes, it is on Amazon, and it's called Earn Your Seat on a Corporate Board. And it's under my name, Jill Griffin. All right. 
Camelia, thank you for calling in and let us know how it goes over time. Um, our phones are staying open. You can reach us at one eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So give us a ring and let us know what are your questions about joining a board, searching for the opportunities, or preparing yourselves for the interview. So Jill. Part of what I loved about your answers was they were not only super practical, but like you said before, in peeling that curtain back, that idea of a professional resume writer. I feel like you just like shared a secret that nobody talks about. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's a lot of people that have great niches out there and we should tap into their talents because, you know, we can't. We can't know everything. And the, what somebody told me one time, the world is run by experts. And I really believe that. And so, in other words, it's, it's okay to hire a resume writing expert. Oh, sure it is. And how do you find these people? And what is the process like of having somebody work on your resume with you? Well, it needs to be collaborative for sure. And I would Google uh, professional resume writers, and I would find out if they write board resumes. And I mean, you could probably even Google board, re- board, corporate board resume writers, something like that. But it needs to be created collaborative. Um, I would probably ask for a sample of their work, mm-hmm. certainly before I chose them, and they should be. They certainly should be willing to share that. Um, those would be a few of the tips I would have. And I think an important thing to note here is that um, resume writers can help you with resumes at any stage of your career. It doesn't just have to be when you're ready for a board seat, although the board resume is written differently than, say, a resume for mid-level management position. That, that's exactly right. But I, I totally agree with that. And looking good on paper is very, very important. And just knowing how to showcase your credentials is, um, again, it's just an expertise that people have. It's so true. And also, for the people on the hiring side, one of the things that's challenging, I mean, we're going through a whole bunch of hiring right now, Wharton People Analytics, and it's the challenge of how do you see the talent in between the lines of how someone represents themselves? Because they're two different things. That's, That's exactly right. And... You know, I caution people, and this is a pet peeve of mine, but when I led a recruiting effort here in town for our new CEO for visitaustin.org, the recruiter told me, and I'd seen evidence of this myself, but people fib, the biggest fib they do on resumes is about their education credentials. And I can tell you that is you are going to be, you are going to be slaughtered for that. Yeah, I gotta say, fib is a kind word for that. Oh, I, I totally agree, and I'm trying to be, I'm <laughs> trying to be at least decent about it. But it is a huge pet peeve with me. Yeah, it's a and big no no. Yeah, you don't I, do I've it. I actually called a friend on it as soon as I saw it. I called her out, and I told her she had just lost any chance of ever getting a board seat, right? ever getting a board seat. Yeah, you can't do that. So on the list of things to do, you know, one of the things that we're, um, that's clear is that you've got to present yourself in a way that shows you have the qualifications and experience that will make you an asset on the board. What are that's some right. of those things? What is necessary for that level of sophisticated service? Well, I, 
again, going back and doing your research and homework in regard to um, what is what boards are what boards are looking looking for, and I, I would not recommend a one a let me say the same resume for every board seat you apply to. Mm, so you customize custom, it. Yes, I would customize it to the industry that you are addressing. And um, in the book, I talk about two skill buckets. I talk about an ever evergreen skill bucket, which are things like, can you chair an audit committee? Uh, are you a CEO? Are you in the C-suite already? Uh, those kinds of things can be helpful in getting um, getting on board. But then you've got the subject matter expert, and that's where my my that was my bucket mm-hmm. in the area of customer loyalty. And that that the subject matter expert that list is growing. Things like cyber fraud, uh, risk management. Um, social media expertise, a lot of those things, that list is increasing in, in, in its power. So think about those two skill buckets and where you reside. And this applies whether you're applying for a board seat or any other job, is to really pay attention to what are they looking for and how can you help them see how your skills align with their needs. That's exactly right. Uh, because it, it's getting more niched out there than ever. So really having a specialty, being a specialist versus a generalist, is more helpful today, I believe, than ever. And it sounds like it also creates opportunity for people who have something really significant and specific to give to that board process, but who may not have spent 20 years as a CEO. That's exactly right. And that's what's so, that's what's so opportunistic about this these days. Because the average person, I mean, I certainly hadn't spent 20 years <laughs> being a CEO. And the average person hasn't. But that doesn't mean that there's not a place on the board for you. And what I love about this conversation, too, is if you've got young listeners out there, millenniums perhaps, you cannot start too early thinking about these strategies. Yes. In fact, it's the perfect time to it, start thinking through this, you know, 15 years in advance. Absolutely. And we're going to talk more about some of those building blocks after we come back because we need to take, take a short break. But stay with us. I'm going to continue my discussion with Jill Griffin in just a few minutes. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. While we're on break, our phones will stay open. So give us a call. Get some of Jill's great advice. 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also reach Patty at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Biz Radio 132, and I'm at Laura's Arrow. Once again, this is Women at Work on Sirius XM 132, and we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women 
Join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and my guest today is Jill Griffin. She's the Forbes.com columnist, say that 10 times fast, and author of six business books, including Earn Your Seat on a Corporate Board. Our phones are open. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You can also send in your questions via email to Patty. She'll read them to us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. So with that, Jill, welcome back to Women at Work. Thank you. So in the first half hours, we were talking about, you know, why corporate boards are a great opportunity, why they excited you so much, and why you wrote your book. There's a phrase that you brought up several times that I also don't think of when I think of corporate boards, and that's friends and friend-making and networking. And so talk to us a little bit about how you approach networking and why friend-making is connected to that. Yes. When I was writing the section of the board uh, of the board book on networking, I reached out to the two best networkers I knew, and they were both men. And John Pincelli, who is the uh, husband of my roommate, college roommate, one of the best networkers in the world, used the word friend making, and he said, "You know, you." You give first, and then you give again and again and again. And he said, never expect anything in return. That's how people learn to trust you. So and I thought that was some of the best advice, best networking advice I'd ever heard. Yeah, and it really touched me because it's really at its heart about generosity of spirit. It is. It is. And it, it, it's, it's just... He has such a big heart anyway, but he, he, he's just a remarkable networker. He, he's, in, he's in law, and he knows every county clerk by their first names across the state of South Carolina. That's a skill I mean, in its own right. He get anywhere. So it's, but it's a testimony to the fact that he paid attention to people and cared about them and remembered them. Oh, he did. And one of the things I know about networking, and your listeners probably understand this too, is calling people by their name, that is the sweetest sound to their ear. You can overdo it by you know, <laughs> repeatedly calling them by name, but just calling them by name and knowing their name. Uh, you know, my, at my dry cleaners, there's two counter people. There's Shelly and there's Adrian. I know both their names. When I'm in there, I'm calling them by their names. And you can just tell it matters. Of course yeah. it does. It makes people feel seen and respected, yes, acknowledged. And, and that kind of respect is the starting place for building a relationship. So talk to me in the process of networking. How do you look, how do you deal emotionally with um, the experience of walking to a room of people you don't know. Are you naturally anxious or are you game and you enjoy that process? Well, I'm, I'm an extrovert. So I really have never met a stranger in a lot of ways. <laughs> but I know I realize that other people are not that way. And actually, in networking events, I try to seek people out seem to be a little 
feeling a little uneasy because I feel like that is how I can bring kindness to a situation. And so I, I go for those people oftentimes that look a little uncomfortable <laughs> and ask about them. You know, Barbara Walters says that one of the great, uh, the great opening lines that can make somebody feel comfortable is say, tell me about your first job. Because anybody, you know, anybody can talk about their first job, and it's something that that comes easy to them. Well, I got to say, Jill, you don't just preach this. You practice this. Because somehow, uh, our listeners should know, Patty and I met you at a cocktail reception. (laughs) That's right. And left feeling like I had known you forever. (laughs) Well, and vice versa, you two are so... Such lovely ladies. Oh, well, thank such you. Lovely ladies, and we just we we just clicked from from the first minute. That's how so I fun. felt too. Also, there was something funny because we got to meet you at the cocktail reception, um, which was. Um, I'll confess, it was one of the more delightful receptions I've had the opportunity to attend. It was on a fabulous roof deck um, overlooking the city, and and you were in these lovely kind of cool, chic, casual clothes, hair blowing in the wind. Um, And the next day you were coming, I I ran into you again in the elevator and I was so delighted to see you, but I had to take a double take because I saw a whole different Jill. (laughs) So talk to me about, you know, the casual Jill and that you were getting ready to go on stage, Jill, and the importance of why you paid attention the way you did to the different ways that you were dressed. Oh, yes. Well, I think casual at a cocktail party like the one we attended makes you more approachable in that setting. Um, But when it comes down to business, first impressions matter. Mm -hmm. And I was actually going into the city to make uh, an appearance with uh, Mornings with Maria. So, man, I I was really... Um, you know, I needed to be very professional and dressed very professional and so forth. But I, I, I so believe, and I've seen this from day one, that how you dress says so much about who you are. And I tell my female coaching um, clients that the power of the jacket or the power of a blazer is just it's such a it's such a power statement isn't it it's crazy that it works like it does but it does oh it does and i invest a lot in jackets um because i just think it's so important uh, now they don't have to be stern looking there's they can be colorful i i, I like to add fun pocket scarves those kind of things to make them you know just fun and have some personality, but I do think jackets and blazers are so important in a a professional wardrobe for women. Talk to me about why. I have my own theories, but I want to see, you know, what is it for you that it changes when a woman's wearing a jacket at a business meeting? Well, it says, it says, uh, I'm there to express my opinion I'm there to, um, I am going, I am there dressing as a courtesy to you because I feel like 
you always want to dress up, not down. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a show of respect, really. It's interesting. So that it's, you're doing it not as a form of personal expression, but a way of communicating a symbol of respect and responsibility. That's exactly what I think. Absolutely. And that carries over into board meetings and other important meetings that I attend. Uh, I just, I just think it is so very, very important. Plus, Laura, I have to tell you, I am a recreational shopper by nature. (laughs) (laughs) So this is not hard work for me, believe me. (laughs) I also think there's another thing that a jacket does for women. And, and you know, I want women to feel authentic and to feel comfortable. But I think when you're sitting, and particularly in a board environment, when men are in suits— um, That's exactly right. It creates a silhouette that is structured and clean and strong. And what you want people to focus on is what you say, not what you look like. And so the jacket is a kind of neutralizer. It connects you more to the people around you. It doesn't turn you into a man, but it provides a kind of visual simplicity that lets people focus on what you're saying. I, I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And I, I, I've seen it from my corporate days all the way into my entrepreneurial days. And it's just very, very important. If you just tuned in, this is Women at Work, and I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking to business author and executive coach Jill Griffin about her book, Earn Your Seat on a Corporate Board, and a variety of other pieces of advice that we can all apply through our careers to our careers throughout our lives. If you've got a question about how to further your career, our phones are open. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If you need advice about how to dress for your interview, or dare I say, how to behave on the interview, I think Jill is just the person for you. So that's one eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And so with that, Jill, I want to ask you: When you're stepping into that interview process, what do you think are the most important things to do as we're preparing for it, and then when we walk in that door? Well, it's very important to prepare, and that should be. You should spend lots of time preparing. You should Google the person that you're know you're going to be interviewed by. Um, find out his or her interest. I mean, there's so many, you know, LinkedIn's a good source. Um, there's just so many ways to, to find out more about that person. Um, I think that when you go into an interview, if there are any skeletons in your closet, you need to be very forthcoming about that. Let's say that you have a DUI in your background for for example, you need to you need to talk about that up front because they're going to clearly find that out in a background check. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important to use to use humor, Laura. Um, <laughs> yes, you, you know I, I have stories about like the the old Vega that I that I dry, drove during college and how it backfired every time I changed gears and all the all the all the stories surrounding that, that I will, will weave in somehow into something. Um, I think you need to stay calm and cool. And if someone is baiting you, you do not take the bait. And let me give you an example of that. When I was interviewing for my board seat, Chris Pappas, who is a Papado fame 
all over Texas. They have these amazing restaurants. And when I was sitting down for an interview with him, he is an engineer by training. And he told me that he didn't think much about the marketing, uh, anybody that had a marketing degree, because you didn't ever have to pass an exam for it. So he was baiting me, really, when he made that when he uh, made that statement. And so he said to me, "So would you say you are in the top five of all marketers?" And I looked at him and I, I said, "Chris, Madonna is in the top five of <laughs> right. all marketers." I said, "I would not." Certainly say I was in the top five of all marketers. I'd say I am in the top of 10% of all marketers. But I said, as far as having a body of knowledge, and then I just slid my, my stack of books toward him. I said, here's my body of knowledge. Right. And so it's things like that that it ended up everything was went well we are good friends today but when somebody's trying to bait you don't take the bait it also sounds like part of what you're doing in a situation like that is recognizing that while this person is in the power seat because they're interviewing you you have to be present in yourself and believe in the value of what you're bringing to contribute so you don't get rattled by it and you can make clear that you're bringing the expertise that you are. That's exactly right. And you you need to be so front and center and so clear about your worth. And, you know, we as women, that's something that we have to work on our entire careers. Mm-hmm. And, and because we're not men and we we just we're more emotional beings i believe than men are uh they're very much practiced from team sports at an early age all of that kind of thing so we really have to continue to work on this and i i that's why i'm a big book reader on inspirational stories about Mm -hmm. women and that's why i enjoy writing my forbes column because i get the talk about women that have been slapped down and have still risen. Um, it, it's so important to know these things. Absolutely. It's why we do this every week. That's um, exactly right. So one of the things that this leads me to is in how you embark upon building a dynamic and stepping into a dynamic in the room so that you can be effective, so that you're, you can hold on to your, not just hold on to your confidence, but also put it to use in the room. And in the book, you had a really great section about not just the interviews, but once you're part of that group, um, everything from when you get there to how do you behave in the room. So talk to me a little bit. When you know you have a board meeting, um, are you like a lot of us showing up if it's an 8 o'clock board meeting, you're walking in at 7.59 grabbing coffee and sitting down with your heart still beating? <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, in fact, I ride over with a gentleman that, because we, we're both at out-of-town time, out-of-towners, and so we're at the same hotel and I ride over with him, and but I'm I'm early to a meeting. Um, I what I have found is that men arrive early at a meeting and men stay late at a meeting, and that's 
the meeting after the meeting is where some of the best and juiciest information uh, gets told. So um, come early, stay late is my advice on meetings. That's really interesting. So because when I read that in the book, it rang true for me. And I thought about how when you're the first person in the room and people come in, you get a little time to warm up with each of those people just to connect with them. Like you said, there's the friend making part of it. Um, What about where you sit at the table? Well, I, I am proud to tell you that I sit to the chairman's right. Is that because he, he or she put you there or you put you there? I put myself there. Okay, and then. What, and what happens, and we are creatures of habit, and what I've seen is from the very day we started in this new uh, location, the seats that people claimed, mm-hmm. they stayed at those seats. Isn't that funny? I know. I know we're such creatures of habit. So I... And I love being next to him. We we share a great bond. Uh, he at times will show me, like during a break, pictures of his family on a cell phone or what his wife is texting him about a family, funny family incident or something like that. But it's uh, it does matter where you sit. It and, really does. And not just because you get to do this fun stuff, but I think it's strategic. Like I have two examples that I've seen. One was actually on our own staff. Um, we were doing a lot of calls with potential partners. And the most junior member of the team sat herself at the far end of the table, and I was sitting next to the phone. And we always wanted this junior member of the team to chime in, but she wasn't. And I had to ask myself, A, was I dominating and did I need to back up? But one, So one of the things that we did was we told her, you sit next to the phone. And so that in that weird way that when you're on a conference call, everybody stares at the phone like it's going to magically turn into a TV. Um, but by putting her next to the phone, I don't know if it was a cl- cues to all of us in the room, um, she engaged in a more dynamic way. Oh, that was so good. That's so good. And she started to take on, I think, more confidence and more um, become a more significant player in those conversations. And then conversely, I was at a big event um, that was overwhelmingly male. And I noticed that several and had multiple tables and several of the women sat at their own table, which meant they were fundamentally not part of the primary discussion. Oh, gosh. Isn't that the truth? You, I mean, you need, I always, I always look at who is at the table. And I try to go to a place where there's at least a mixture. Or join the only male, be the only female at the table. Yes, That's don't be too. afraid. It's important. That's exactly right. And, you know, things like, may I join you, gentlemen, that kind of uh breaks the eyes, of course they're going to say yes. Of course, they move over and they make a chair available. Oh, they do. And and using the word gentleman, I always love that because I think it shows respect. And, you know, there it's are also- there are such great men out there. You know, I know that men have gotten a bad rap lately, <laughs> but I, I have to go on record saying that I've had the most generous, champions and sponsors uh, in my career. And that's where the power is, too. Indeed. And so here's to the good guys to start off with. And the other thing that I love in that is if you say, hey, guys, versus, hey, gentlemen, you're sending a clue to behave like gentlemen. Oh, 
Yes. So I think it's useful that way. Exactly. For people who just tuned in, this is Women at Work. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and I'm talking with business author and executive coach Jill Griffin about her book, Earn Your Seat on a Corporate Board. If you have a question for the last quarter of our show, give us a call. We would love to hear from you. Um, Our phone number is 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Jill, you talked before about the importance of preparing for an interview. Talk to me about preparing for board meetings. Um, do you just, you know, read your reading materials and look at your agenda items? Um, or is there more to it to get ready to go in there and advance the issues that you care about? Well, we're given uh, board read-ahead materials, which is very important that you um, go through and really read because, there's a lot of background information that you need to know in order to go in there and have a hearty discussion. So you need to be spending several hours reading those materials. The other thing is that I will reach out to certain board members before the meeting. If I think that there are some uh, things that I need some um, cover on or I don't want – the them to be caught off guard Mm -hmm. that I'm going to make such and such a statement or uh, whatever, I will reach out and say, here's some things that I'd like to talk about, I'd like to get your feedback on, and this is some things that I want to make a point of during the meeting. This is really interesting, and I want to unpack this a little bit because you mentioned several different reasons to do this. So one is... um, if you want to address something and you want support from other people, that's a motivation. Yes. And so you're kind of making your case one-to-one? That's exactly right. And, and you know, you know, we all have people that we're closer to than others. And I have several people on that board that are confidants. We share confidences of things that we're uh, thinking about that maybe don't go into the board meeting itself, Mm -hmm. uh, but that we know how each other are thinking about things, that kind of thing. And what about, and what about with the people that you're, that are not your close confidants, that outreach must be super important, especially for those who aren't because you're building a bridge. And I will oftentimes, and there's a lot that happened in these board meetings that, uh, on breaks and this kind of thing, I will pull somebody aside and talk to them. If something's happened, like, in the discussion, that I want some more uh, airtime with this person about that topic, then I'll pull them aside uh, during a break and have have a little powwow. It also sounds like a really elegant approach when you don't agree with somebody to address it with them in private first. Yes. So exactly. you're you're both learning about them and understanding their point of view and also not making the conflict public at its first expression. That's exactly right. And I learned that from one of my mentors on the board who has since retired. He told me that when it was bad news, he never he always to the person first in private before it was uh, before it was talked about as a group. In those conversations, I'm going to guess there must be times that you go into the conversation and you leave with a different perspective than you had to start. Oh, sure, because you're always learning and listening carefully. Listening, 
not only to the words, but the body language, uh, the facial expressions, all of that is so important. Jill, how, for people out there who want to learn more about how to develop these skills, where can they turn? Well, there's, there's wonderful books out there, and I'm a big reader. There's wonderful books on anything from body language. Uh, TED Talks has uh, great um, talks mm-hmm. on those kinds of things. In fact, I think there was a Harvard professor one time that talked about body language. Yes, Amy about, Cuddy. That's right, and talked about what she did before, to prepare in, a, in the ladies' room before she went outside, uh, things like that. So the information's everywhere, um, and it's just there. there's no excuse if you want to know something. You can Google it, and videos will pop up, YouTube, all of those things. It's, to- it's all out there for you, and as a matter of fact, Patty and I do a little power posing before every show, so it works <laughs> for us, too. <laughs> so, Jill, I hope you know we've tried to be really careful listeners today because we found everything that you've shared so delightful and so helpful. If people want to find more about your books or you, where can they go? Well, my website, and thank you so much for the honor of being able to share the information, it's jillgriffin.net. Uh, I write for Forbes. So if you if you put in a search box, Forbes.com, Joel Griffin, a lot of my articles will pop up. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, Fantastic. Those are the ways to reach me. Fantastic. Jill, I can't thank you enough for joining us. It's so good to talk to you again. Thank you so much for the honor. And I thank really you all. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. If you have a question you heard about something from today's show, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Follow us on Twitter at BizRadio132 and at Laura's Arrow. Special thanks to my producer, Patty Hall, our sound engineer, Dion Simpkins, Caitlin Satterfield, who's joining us today. I'm Laura's Arrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on SiriusXM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.